Happy 4th of July weekend. <laughs> Beautiful weather out there. It's lovely to hear the kids playing just outside on the sidewalk. They're drawing all sorts of fun pictures. We had a uh, day long yesterday for those in the Apostica training. Joseph Capwell uh, joined us uh, over FaceTime. We had a talking head up here on the stage platform. And one of the things he said kind of struck me and just kind of resonating. Uh, and that was, uh, he was he started off, you know, was invited to talk about 20 minutes and and then we did some question and answers with him. Altogether it went for about two hours, that portion of it, which was really lovely. And uh, he was talking about failure. And one of his experiences is having been a monk in robes for 20 years and then leaving the robes and going back into lay life and you know he can he can had times of feeling like a failure and learning to let go of failure also means that we have to let go of success the notion of failure the notion of success is one of the eight worldly winds that blow us about, blow us off our, our uh, practice, off our path, and lead to suffering. And, uh, and so I was, I was thinking about that and, and noticing how easy it is to get caught. <laughs> I'm distracted by an adorable little boy just uh, outside there <laughs> speaking. <laughs> they're doing chalk pictures. Now they're doing it on the steps and on the platform. <laughs> okay, worldly winds. I'm, I'm, I'm delighting. <laughs> Not quite as cute as my grandchildren, but almost. <laughs> I re I'm remembering a, a time uh, when uh, the wor worldly winds can be uh, a, a way that I have found practicing with worldly winds is also being able to be um, practicing with allowing ourselves to be misunderstood so that if praise and blame comes uh, we may deserve it, we may not, in either case. Um, making space within our own experience of being misunderstood and not having to say anything about it uh, is a number one huge character builder. It also helps us to shift away from a perspective of what do others think about me, how am I, it perceived in this world, what can I do to 
make improve my image you know what can I do to correct uh, the misguided folks who don't understand how great I am <laughs> my talents uh, my my outstanding views whatever um, really helps with working with the uh, winds than that which you know that part of ourselves which just is so embedded in self importance self gratification just allowing ourselves to be misunderstood allows us to see those worldly winds and what do we do that gets us knocked about I was on a retreat with Ajahn Sumedho once and uh the, I, I applied for the retreat too late and the only people now that could join the retreat is if you were off campus and so I found a, a place to stay and a friend of mine happened to live nearby and so I uh, took a room he offered a room and I, I stayed there and so I had to go drive to the retreat every morning this um, is Spirit Rock so hundreds of people can stay there um, but the only way I could get in was to go off campus and so it took me 20 minutes to get there so I didn't want to, I didn't have time to leave and take a break and come back so I was stuck there from the time we started the morning until the evening and there's practice periods in between of a couple of hours in between meal and tea in the next beginning of retreat and uh, and I've been I'd, I'd been to Spirit Rock many times before and what I didn't realize because I had stayed on the property is how quiet the place is and and you know there's hundreds of people there but there's nobody about just after lunch everyone goes to their rooms and takes a nap myself included but I didn't have that option this time. So I found myself, I uh, found this great little deck up above, uh, not quite the shrine room, but anyway, this great little deck that's connected to the shrine room, but it's, it's, it's walking back and forth outside. And I, I was feeling so good about, uh, how much practice I was getting in was really settling my mind. And what I w wasn't catching right off the bat was how much I was delighting in identifying as somebody that was really practicing well. And uh, so I, rather than just allow the mind to settle and be quiet, I kind of started getting carried off into, I'm the only one that's really doing the practice. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and uh, one of the it was, it was about like five or six days in ten day retreat, and and I'm really high on myself. <laughs> and at one point, I, I I reached the end, and I and I look over. I'm about to turn around, and I see off into the distance. There's Ajahn Sumedho. He's out on another deck. And he's just standing there and he's looking off. Now he's at a distance, so I can't tell if he actually sees me. 
This was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm so much better now. <laughs> I'm so much more mature. <laughs> I can't tell if he sees me. So, but what I know is, oh, I hope he sees me. <laughs> I hope he sees me. And so I'm walking back and forth, and I come back again, and I, oh, he's still there. I still don't know if he sees me. I'd, I'd love for him to know how hard I'm practicing. <laughs> so this is what I did. I went downstairs and got my my sun hat, which was really big, because <laughs> he's not going to miss that. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not admitting this to myself, so I put on my sun hat, and I go back. I'm, I'm, I'm walking... I walk up and then I go go back and I go to turn and he's not there. <laughs> and I and I felt myself sink. And when I felt that that sink, I also kind of I could I'm not sure if this can make sense, but I not only felt a sink, but I could smell the stink of oh my gosh, I can't believe this. You know, I'm I'm wanting to be understood as this great meditator, but not just a great meditator. I want to be understood as the best meditator. And what better affirmation than to have Ajahn Sumedha witness all of this. <laughs> so that I found that really um, beneficial. I, I was... Now my mood, I had re recognized my mood slipped because I was not wanting to be misunderstood. Uh, and I was wanting to be understood as something in comparison to others. And when I, when I felt that, and I, I recognized I was holding on to the delight of the benefits of practicing hard, rather than just allowing the experience to come up, be felt, pass away. I tried to bottle it into an identification of this experience means this about me. And any time that I want a little hit of that experience, I thought all I had to do then was just pick up that bottle, pick up that memory of, I just made a, I, I think he sees me, and he probably thinks I'm a great practitioner now. I just have to pick up that little bottle and take a hit off of it, and then I'll feel those feelings again. And, and we do this, we replay uh, thoughts, memories that make us feel good so we can get that feel-good hit again. All the while we're trapping ourselves in the uh, deluded um, practice of identifying with this experience means this about me. I don't, and aren't I great? Don't I feel good? And we do the same thing with, so we do that with praise. Try to, you know, I'm, 
I'm projecting that uh, Ajahn Sumedho, if he sees me, he's going to praise me. In his heart, of course, he will. <laughs> so I'm projecting this. It's completely deluded. I have no idea. But we do this all the time. We get some praise. We bottle that up. We pull that memory. They said this about me. I'm going to remember this. I feel good. That feels good. Did, did you know? Did you know they said this about me? Or... They said that about me? So there may be blame. And then, and then we want to just play over and over how we would correct the scenario. Who are we going to tell that this isn't true? You know, again, we're just trapping ourselves into this process of suffering. Whether it's praise or blame. There's a... Um, story. I, I started my meditation practice for the first couple of years was with a Zen group and there was a story I heard a couple of times. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but um, but it works. It's a good simile, I think, of a an abbot who was very popular in this uh, small village and very well liked and well supported. And This was in the Buddhist time. Uh, so he was, he was, he was not Buddhist, but he was uh, an abbot of some religious organization. And uh, some people uh, came. This grandparents of a newborn infant came, carrying a bundle with them, and it was a baby, carrying a baby with them. And one day, and placed it in the abbot's lap, and said. Uh, I have just learned that my daughter has been having an affair with you and you need to take this child which is yours and, and raise it. And he, he said, well, you know that I don't recognize, I don't know who your daughter is and I don't know who this child is but I will, I will raise this as if it was my child. And, uh, and so he took it in and, and did raise the child, but not refuting or um, blaming the girl or the family for and trying to defend himself, he lost his reputation. He lost his support. Uh, the monastery went down, dwindled down to just a few people. It was hard living, but he raised this child. And then as a child becomes a teenager, the, the actual mother of the child came back and said, and, and said, I, you know, I beg for forgiveness. This child actually isn't yours, and I would like the child back to raise as my own. And her story was that she had an affair with a, a person of the village, and she was unmarried and very young. And she was afraid for her lover that he would get stoned or she would get stoned or she was and so she blamed it on the, the abbot, thinking, well, that's a good place for the child to land. But now she felt guilty and she wanted the child back. And so he said, okay. <laughs> and he 
uh, I can't remember if he, the story goes he handed the child back or offered the child to go back or stay or whatever, but in neither case did he try to defend himself or blame the person who had actually accused him of having an affair and a child with her. And it's just, this is what has risen. And uh, you think what you may. No, this isn't my child, but nobody believed him because he didn't spend any time defending himself. You know, but then his reputation went back up because it became obvious it wasn't his child. Now things are good. There's a um, end of a poem. I'm, I'm going to bet probably most of you have heard of the poem "If" by Kipling, and there's a piece in it that says, "If you can meet with triumph and disaster." and tr treat those two imposters just the same. And it ends, you will be a man, my son, or something like that. He's, he's talking to a, a person of politics that had lost his reputation, was quite famous, and lost his reputation, and, and he was encouraging him to, you know, praise and blame. Um, people will sometimes praise you, and people will sometimes blame you. And if we can just, those are imposters. Both of them are just, they're not something worthy of us building an identification around. And if we can keep that in mind and let, let the discomfort of being blamed, let it just be a feeling of discomfort of being blamed or the delight of being praised, let it just be a delight of being praised. If we can just let that, then we're not feeding into, you know, the perceptions. We're just experiencing the results of these perceptions having arisen and they'll pass away. A picture that comes in mind when I say that is like a little you know, a few little birds uh, when they're first born, first hatched. And we've all seen pictures of, you know, a nest. And you're looking down on a nest of like five or six birds and they have their mouths wide open because there's a mama or a papa bird that are have just joined and they've got to say a worm or something and the bird's all like, ah, 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 You know, it's the same thing that that we do, so... Uh, when we really want something and we, we feed these delightful feelings with more thoughts or we feed these disgusting feelings with more thoughts. You know, we just, we just keep bringing them up. So like this little bird, there's Ajahn Sumedho and I immediately open my mouth and I imagine with my thoughts I imagine you know gulping down this uh, praise you know I don't even have to hear praise I can imagine it from somebody else <laughs> I do the same I can do the same thing with um, you know blame somebody doesn't have to blame me I can just imagine that they're probably thinking 
So it's like a little bird opening its mouth and we, we've got this thought and we just feed it. You know, we just gulp that thought down. So if we look at it this way, if we just like imagine ourselves feeding these thoughts because we want that hit, that, that feeling that makes us feel so alive, I feel so good or I feel so bad, I'm so good or they're so bad, I'm right, they're wrong. I hope they think this about me. I hope they don't think this about me. What, whatever it is, those are just thoughts that we're, we're feeding ourselves to get a hit, a feeling, as opposed to just allowing feelings to come and go as a result to what the world uh, in, impinges on us. You know, instead of responding to the world, we're trying to create our world. So thinking about in, when we catch ourselves indulging over and over in a thought to make ours, that makes us feel good or makes us feel bad, makes us feel right or makes us feel wrong. I can imagine, think about the fact that we're just feeding. We're feeding this thought for the sake of a feeling. And allow ourselves to just let go of that thought. Don't take those, these thoughts so seriously. So when I saw that, what I was doing was trying to feed off my imagination that Ajahn Sumedha was going to, was probably over there praising me. And in case he wasn't, I'm going to go put on a big hat so he'll see me. <laughs> You know, when I realized that, and then when he wasn't there, it became obvious to me what I was doing. When I realized that, I spent the rest of the retreat practicing with, you know, you're just, this is just a thought. You're trying to feel good. Just let it, let it go. Don't, don't feed into this because the flip side of this very coin, you know, is, is blame, is frustration. It's, I'm going to suffer over this. Just... Can I not feed on this thought? And so I practiced with, I, I watched how often I was trying to, I was not trying, I would say how often I was hoping that Ajahn Sumedha would see how good I was, what a good meditator I was. And rather than despair over it, I, I recognize this is an opportunity to quit feeding. Because the flip side is, I do the same thing with blame. You know, and I, it didn't matter if I did it with praise or blame, it's the same uh, coin. It's just the flip side. So if I practice with either one, it will help me to let go of both at the same time. And I didn't mind the hit I got off delight, but I really was uncomfortable with the hit I got off of blame. So let's work on it with delight. You know, and I was unimpressed with how 
often, you know, this opportunity came up to let go of trying to feed off a thought that somebody could think really well of me. I was, I was really unimpressed. I was also at the same time very grateful for the practice and the feeling of peace that then was in the place of, uh, that was being obscured because I was so busy thinking and wanting and that, that need to keep feeling, uh, feeding in order to feel a happy hit. You know, just letting, letting that go and being mm, in this case and for short moments being independent of the need to set up conditions in a way to feel good uh, about the results of my practice. Being independent of having to feed off of thoughts uh, was such a relief. so peaceful not to have to try to make the world but but just respond to the world and any moment uh, that we can do this that's the, these are the moments now that I want to remember that I don't have to create and feed off my feelings by with my thoughts. That's a there's a there's a freedom in there, um, and it's self. It it sustains itself. I don't have to make it happen. You know. So so now the aim is to. You know to. Um, allow the arising of joy or allow the arising of despair to come and go and not interfere. Not getting entangled and recognizing the freedom in that. I don't have to open my mouth and beg. I just have to be present. And it's not easy. It doesn't happen most of the time. But that sense of peace is the beacon now instead of that sense of how I want to be understood. Ajahn Sumedho always talks about in, in quite in, in detail and depth and in the most simple terms and then he's always talking about 
you know, just the way things are. This is the way it is. Uh, it sounds simple. It's really hard to to recognize, but practicing uh, with this this as our goal, just being able to be with what is. As we're really fortunate. We're really fortunate to have him amongst us. He'll be here uh, next next Friday. He'll be here for two hours from six to eight. And I uh, just want to encourage everybody to come. There are books in the back that, um, there's like book sets in the back. As you go out the door in the cloakroom there, if you don't have a set, please take one. And uh, he's got he's got a section. I think it's in book three about realization, and it's really really worth reading. And then come and hear him talk. It's quite likely this will be. Uh, it's quite possible this could be his last visit. And uh, just come and hear what he has to say. And just be sure to wear a really big hat. <laughs> <laughs>